This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Hello, I'm Jason Concepcion. I think that's too much energy to start with. 20% less. Okay. <laughs> Hello, I'm Jason Concepcion. Uh, I don't think that was it either. 5% either direction. Either direction? Okay. <laughs> okay. Hello, I'm Jason Concepcion. Let's do that one. Let's do that one. Can you just let me do it? Just let that, me do it. Okay. Hello, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. We have a podcast coming out. It's called The Connect. And it's f***ing cool. Each week, Shay and I will talk about two movies and the theme that connects them. For example, for our debut episode, which comes out July 22nd, the theme is Work Friends. I'm talking about 1999's Office Space. It's about three friends who work at a technology company. And I'm talking about 1983 Scarface, which is about two best friends just trying to make their way to the top of Miami's very competitive cocaine industry. Another theme we'll have is Mean Mentors. I'm talking about Fletcher from Whiplash. Jason's talking about Miranda from The Devil Wears Prada. Another theme. How about Matthew McConaughey doesn't understand <laughs> outer space? I'm talking about Contact. Jason is talking about Interstellar. And yet another theme. Oh, man, why'd you do that? <laughs> I'm talking about Juice. Jason's talking about Lady Bird. There are categories and bits and contests. It's a whole thing and it's going to be great or it's going to be terrible. I don't know but I'm excited to find out. Me too. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Let's do it. Let's go, let's go in. No, go on. What were you going to say? No, because it's going to irritate you during the podcast and that'll be part of the tension. What were you going to say? Because- Just say it. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ringer FC. I'm Mesut Konga. I'm Ryan Hunt. Ryan, how are you doing? <laughs> Honestly, I'm a, I'm a bit tired. Really? Why are you tired? Tired of your ball. No, I'm not. Uh, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> it's my birthday this week and I keep having weird existential dreams. I woke up super early this morning out of one. It was very strange. So that's how I am. How are you, Musa? I am very well indeed. Of course I'm, you are. Of course. I'm just good vibes, good energies. I'm just very happy. <laughs> I had a great weekend. I had, shout out to Cupcake Berlin, I had three 
of their lovely sea salt caramel cakes. Space those Hashtag three days. Not an ad. Not an ad. Um, I saw Zane shake. Shout out to Zane. We hung out and talked about Liverpool and what they can do to evolve next season. That was fun. I'm actually writing about that for the Ringer. So look out for that. And yeah, like, you know, United lost to Chelsea in the FA Cup semi-final, but the best team won. So you can't even be bitter about that. Well, we are going to talk about that in a little bit because first we have to do some admin. So if you're listening to this on the Stadio feed, this will be the last preview that goes up before we are off the feed. However, we will probably put another small episode on the feed before we are exclusively on the Ringer FC Spotify feed. Uh, Second of all, Stadio theme music is available for sale on Bandcamp, stadio.bandcamp.com. We're donating all the money. Uh, It's a minimum of three euros. You want to go buy it? Go buy it, please. And I think that's everything. Think so. Oh, competition. Oh yeah. Let's do it now. The results of our first ever Stadio competition. So we, on the last episode, we said we were going to give away a copy of Caracom magazine, which has your essay in it about playing for Stonewall. Yep. Shout out to Caracom, the brilliant magazine run by Callum Jacobs out of London. If you want to go and support it anyway, go to caracom.uk. You can buy digital and physical issues from there. We had some really, really great entries. They were amazing, actually. Some of them were very... Teared up on a few. (laughs) It's just really great seeing people recall why favourite players are their favourite players. Yeah. So personal, that's what, yeah. It's so great, yeah. So I want to say a massive thanks to everyone who submitted for it. Obviously, we can only have one winner. So our winner of issue two of Caracol magazine is Veronica Holloway. And this is her entry. My choice for favourite footballer is Japanese international and Chicago Red Stars attacker Yuki Nagasato. Not only has her technical ability and field vision helped her country win a World Cup, but in the 2019 season, her eight goals and eight assists, many linking up with Sam Kerr, got the Red Stars to their first NWSL final. The football is beautiful, but what really sets her apart for me is her ability to nurture team chemistry and be an incredible teammate. Throughout the Challenge Cup, she has made paintings for several team members. She calls Alyssa Nea badass, Casey Short trouble, refers to herself as a goofy bitch. <laughs> and, in the, and in the days before COVID-19, her teammates would often go to see her band play. She plays drums. She is just dope. Perfect. And I, we saw that one and we were just like... Has to be that. Like it's has long, to has, be. To be, has to be that. Has to be that. Taking out identifying who it was and the final she is dope, it's three sentences. That's perfect. So fair play, Veronica. So Veronica, Veronica Holloway, we'll be in touch and we'll get this posted out to you. Uh, Veronica is in Chicago. Oh, that's why, oh, that's why she was going on about a Red Stars thing. There we go, Red Star. <laughs> on to the football. We're going to start with the FA Cup semi-finals. Should we start with Manchester United, Chelsea? Uh, Manchester United won, Chelsea three. A little bit surprised at the result? I'm surprised at the size, the scoreline. Chelsea have got really good attacking depth. Mm. What's interesting is United's attacking depth, or United's, well, United's like reserves are significantly less effective than their first team. Mm. And when you make that many changes as United, I mean, they, you take out Pogba for Fred. Fred is many things, but he's not Pogba. You take out Martial for Daniel James. James is not someone that kind of creates his own opportunities to the extent that Martial does. He's not as dynamic a threat. I thought 
Odenigalo was unlucky not to start. And I thought he would have been a better complement for Rashford's gifts because you got two up front. You go with two conventional fours, but James is not really that. He's kind of a wide forward, really. So United started on the back foot. And look, this is the thing. It's a really, I think uh, Cheeky Ball Boys, Bob wrote, and he, he asked, did capitalism kind of win in this game? And both teams were clearly prioritizing, I think, Champions League. And that's fair to say. But Chelsea's superior, you know, we've criticised Chelsea in this podcast before for the lack of depth. Well, not the lack of depth, the lack of balance. I think it's the thing. Chelsea have a lack of balance in this squad and United have a lack of depth. But Chelsea's credit, you know, the midfield has been criticised, but I thought really Jorginho and Kovacic were really, really good, really solid in midfield and just deserved that win. I think, you know, a two-goal margin of victory in the end was, they were good value for that, Chelsea. Very good value for that. Two quite big De Gea errors, I think, for the goals. Horrible. For the first two. Horrible errors. I mean, the first one I can kind of understand a little bit because of just how um, how close Giroud is to, is to De Gea. Mm. But the Mason Mount one was really kind of poor from De Gea. And I actually wrote a thing on Twitter saying, that you know, is there a position in football more so than goalkeeper where reputation gets you picked instead of merit in a way. And it, I think it's especially relevant at international level. Because if you look around Europe this year, maybe the last two seasons actually, I'd say that potentially Spain, France, Germany and England haven't been playing their best goalkeepers at international level. Yeah, that's very fair. It really does take goalkeepers a lot longer to be dropped on form, I think. Now, obviously there's a caveat to that in that any goalkeeping error usually ends up with higher consequences. Can I sound harsh here with De Gea? When he doesn't have to think about the goalkeeper that he was, he still makes the outstanding saves. Mm. When he has time to reflect on that, like if you look at like these goals, these mistakes, they're they're fairly similar. They're all like where he sees the ball coming from a distance. And I think there's almost, I don't, I'm not an expert on this stuff. Don't get me wrong, I'm not a cod psychologist, but you know, he made a very, very good save in that game. And he Mm. made some very good saves in previous games. Like, he makes the really, really outstanding stuff still. The stuff where it's like, you know, blink of an eye, you see him again. You, all of a sudden you see, De, you know, De Gea and the Bernabeu making his outstanding saves. You see that guy again. But when someone shoots from 20 yards, there's almost an anxiety there. Yeah, you're basically saying he's quite an instinctive goalkeeper. When he's instinctive, tip over the bar and he's like, okay, that's the De Gea we recognise. I think he's starting to fear his next mistake. This has been a kind of consistent decline in form since that, season that Manchester United finished second under Mourinho. Can I be honest though, when you drop a goalkeeper, I think the reason why it's done so rarely across teams and across countries is because it's the knowledge that it is terminal. And it's the kind of thing mm. you don't make your thing, you don't make your way back from because look at Jim Layton when he was dropped for Les Seeley by Manchester United back in the, um, the FA Cup replay in 1990, I think it was. Yeah. Three all, he, he made a mistake in the, um, in a three all draw. And Ferguson looked at that and he'd worked with Jim Layton for a long time. He'd worked in the Aberdeen as well. So this is a guy that he'd backed for years and Jim Layton never really made it back to his prominence after that. When you drop a goalkeeper, unfortunately, it's kind of like putting them out to pasture. Like for us, mm. you drop a striker, you drop a, you know, if you're a striker, Gary Nicker says it best, you, you get a chance to redeem yourself with the next play. Well, this, well, this is why I wonder whether maybe football could benefit from a culture shift in terms of the stigma around dropping goalkeepers. Yeah. Yeah. A, I think it would actually 
probably benefit elite clubs more so because you could then spread games amongst two absolutely top level goalkeepers if you wanted to. Yep, yep. But I do wonder whether that's something that maybe football is behind on because ultimately if you have two goalkeepers and especially with the way that goalkeeping is going, how today's goalkeepers could probably play midfield in a number of past eras. Mm, yeah, true, true. So I do wonder whether that's a possible slash interesting footballing evolution to come. Oh my God. Where there is no one, there is no number one and number two. The concept of the number one and number two is gone. That's such a brilliant thought, Ryan. And I'm, I'm now thinking that someone like, whoever the new Guardiola is, will do a thing like that because a new goalkeeper in the middle of a game, especially with the five subs rule, it gives a new set of problems, a mm. different style of distribution, you know, or a goalkeeper that kicks off a different foot. And so all of a sudden the distribution changes. That is so interesting. I mean, if you look at it from an Arsenal perspective, and we'll touch on Arsenal in a minute, at the moment they have their number two goalkeeper, Emi Martinez there, who has been at the club a long time. Emi Martinez is a brilliant shot stopper and he's a big imposing goalkeeper. He's, he, as we saw with Arsenal's first goal on Saturday, he's also not bad right. in possession. Not bad at all, yeah. However, I do think that Bernd Leno is an all-round more gifted kind of distributor of the ball. You could say, for example, if football evolved in a tactical sense, say Arsenal were 3-0 up in a game and they knew that... Man City, actually, the Man City game was probably a prime example. Mm. Say if Bernd Leno had been in goal for that had started that game in goal, as soon as Arsenal went 2-0 down, you could make an argument for then bringing on someone like Martinez because you know that Arsenal are going to be under a lot of pressure and able to make saves. Now, to be honest, I think it's something that Leno could do anyway because Leno is a brilliant goalkeeper and I think actually quite an underrated goalkeeper. Mm. I'd be interested to know from people within the game who are obviously <laughs> far more informed than we are, whether that is something that's even come up in conversations or whether the data actually there is there to suggest it. It may be that they have obviously looked at it and I mean, they, I imagine they have. There's probably a very good reason Do you know what the, why it's There is happened. some tactical geek who is itching to try it. There is someone who is absolutely, I reckon, you know, can I be honest with you? I think there's a WhatsApp group the managers are all part of and they're like, oh, I really want to do this. And it's like, actually, let's let Bielsa do it first. He's wild enough to try it. There's all these things that they want to do. And the second Bielsa does it like, wow, we've got permission from dad. Now we can all run wild. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to praise Frank Lampard as well and Chelsea because I thought there were a number of really key yes. Chelsea performances. I think Olivier Giroud has been in really, really good form. Yep. We actually had a tweet from Rodri Evans who said, just some Reese James love, please. Been given a lot of unnecessary stick from our fans this season, as have the rest of our academy boys. I reckon he's our right back for a decade or more. Yeah, that's a big shout uh, just because right back is such a contested role, but I was really impressed by him. I thought he did a great job. Yeah, I thought he was really impressive. Let's move on to Arsenal and Manchester City because this was the second time in a week that Arsenal had beaten one of the top two, mm. registering about 30.5% possession overall, having a total of six, no, seven shots, scoring four goals and winning both games. This was really impressive though. I think this was more impressive than the Liverpool oh, game. Oh, considerably. This was the Liverpool game you could see at one point, you could see Liverpool being out of sight. But this, this was a demonstration. Arteta knowing, having worked with Pep, but also his tactical work himself, knowing that with City, the only room you'll get against City is really high up the pitch. So you draw them in, you switch the ball. I mean, that opening goal is one of the best goals Arsenal have scored in the last 10 years. 
It's one of the, Yeah, I think it's a really, really, really clever goal. It's an important goal. It's a really important goal because now he has a blueprint. He'll be like, you see this? This is what I'm talking about. This is how it works. And the beauty is two completely different goals. One drew the sting and one was on the cat. Well, both were kind of, well, one was sort of like drawing and drawing, playing from the back. And the other one was more of a classic counter. But that again, like Tierney down the line to Aubameyang, that whole move, all of it is just unbelievable. When you're getting the best performances from your best players and significantly improving players who under previous managers were not at that level, and Granite Chaka, obvious example, David Luiz, another great example, then you're, cook- mm. you're cooking with gas. You're cooking I mean, with I gas. think actually Mustafi has arguably been Arsenal's best centre-back this season. I've always kind of liked Mustafi though. I've, I've always said this. I've always said that there is a very good player in there. What we've seen there from the Valencia days, there's always been a really good player. Yeah. In there. there are some players like Mustafi's like Dejan Lovren, like the surrounding circumstances are really important. If you get those right, he's almost like a kind of, Mustafi is a kind of um, a litmus test for what's going on around him. That mm-hmm. sounds like a slight criticism if it's not meant to that. Like not every player is a kind of all weather alpha, prosper in any circumstance. Not every, there's very, very few centre-backs like that. Like, you know, Billy Costa-Curta wasn't like that for AC Milan. Mm. Costa-Curta needed that steadying hand alongside him with Baresi, right? But when you had the right circumstances around Costa-Curta, he was brilliant. And Mustafi's like that, same kind of energy. Mm. And it's to Arteta's credit that he's created the surrounding circumstances for Mustafi to be the quality of player that I've always seen in him at his best. Uh, we had quite a lot of fun during that game on Twitter on Saturday. Just <laughs> but in all seriousness, after the game, I posted a thing just saying that the most impressive thing about that, but also the Liverpool game, I think was, we actually said it, I think it might have been on the last episode, that the Liverpool result was impressive from a mentality point of view, not necessarily from a, a, an actual performance technically. You know, we said that Arteta needed one of those statement wins. And I think you could see the benefit of getting a statement win like that in the performance on Saturday. Mm. There is something there when you win a game against a top side in such a different way that you're used to playing. I think it then becomes easier to start to build. I think you're seeing the benefit of having someone there who people really want to trust and really want to listen to. And we said this before, you know, Arteta has, is one of the few people who could have walked into that job with despite not having the qualifications, having the kind of respect from working under Pep, but also that has the authority to say stuff like after the game saying, yeah, I told the board they need to spend. And be comfortable with that and be comfortable going against the board because ultimately all of that board at Arsenal with Raul Sanyei and Edu and all of these people coming in, they're still, even Edu really, because he's quite new in the job, they're not as much of, they're not, as Arsenal, if you like, in quote marks, as Arteta was, because he literally lifted trophies with them and captained the club. He put them on notice. He really, I think it was really interesting that he did that. I quite like having someone who isn't afraid to get a little bit spiky yeah. in public there. It's very pet. You know? It's very pet. Can I be honest? I think, I wonder if Arteta was kind of Pep's new Tito Villanova in terms of that closeness, mm. but also seeing as a successor. And that's why he was so upset when he left. Like, you now understand in a very short space of time why Pep was probably even angry, not just at losing him to a competitor, but I think it's deepened that with Guardiola. I think he's trying to build something in the city that goes beyond him. 
and mm-hmm. Arteta was the natural successor. Like he would have just slotted in after Pep, 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 Pep was like, that's the next guy. Like he would have nominated him. Cause like you can see, you can see how Arteta at City would have worked and might even have made defensive improvements because it's no coincidence that defensive midfield triangle, I always talk about triangles, but that Chaka, Mustafi, Louis Axis, if you'd said that Axis would hold firm against Man City, in an F- he said, if he said a year ago, that Axis would hold firm against Man City in the FA Cup semi-final, people would have laughed at you. They would have. With City in that form, and I know it's a one Maybe a year ago, there was probably a lot more goodwill there, but obviously, it's a one-off game. Yeah, but, but, but I, I, yeah. I just think that Arteta, I mean, I, I actually sent a screenshot of some of his comments in his um, post-match interview some friends of mine in the WhatsApp group and said, look at this. Isn't this amazing to see football being talked about like this? The way he discusses mm-hmm. football being merely the way of finding, the finding of, it's merely the finding of spaces. And I was just like, yeah, like that, that's, that's how you talk about football. That's how you talk about yeah. football. I mean, going back to what you're saying about Pep wanting to, him to be his successor, I think you've seen it. Like Pep is, since Arteta left, Pep's, Touchline get up has got erratic. <laughs> like he's dressing like someone who's gone through a breakup. <laughs> it is a, it is, <laughs> it is, it's very um, ill-fitting t-shirts. I mean, what's that about? It's good to see him rocking a French tuck though. I'm all for more queer eye and football crossover. So anyone rocking a French tuck, as, as Tam would say, just elevating him to the very best version of himself. But yeah, talking about best versions, are we going to see the best version of, I mean, City are going to punch back next year, but how much longer does Pep go on there? Like if they do Champions League, he's out, I reckon. This is the end of his fourth season at Manchester City, right? The only other place he did four seasons was Barcelona and it nearly ruined him. Honestly, as gifted as that squad is, I think there are issues there. I think they really need another striker and I think they need to address some issues in defensive areas. Defensive midfield and defence, they certainly have to address. Yeah. And I, th- and I think they actually could do with offloading a couple of people as well. Yeah, I think so. Let's take a break. Let's do it. Sports are back and you can find all the action on FanDuel. The MLB is here and the NBA is right around the corner. Whether you've been with FanDuel for a while or you're new to the experience, FanDuel has two great ways to win that you won't want to miss. First off, FanDuel is adding $10 in free bets to every account, no deposit required and no strings attached. In addition to your $10 bonus, FanDuel is also giving you a day of risk-free betting. That means you can place any bets you want on baseball, basketball, and hockey and get up to $100 back on your total losses. If you already have a FanDuel Sportsbook account, then you're all set. Just use your $10 bonus and day of risk-free betting before they expire on August 2nd. And if you've never tried FanDuel Sportsbook, then what are you waiting for? Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started and be sure to sign up with promo code RINGERFC so they know we sent you. That's promo code RINGERFC. 21 plus and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Indiana, West Virginia, and Colorado. Offer ends August 2nd, 2020. $100 max refund issued in site credit and expires in seven days. $10 bonuses issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires on August 2nd, 2020. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In West Virginia, visit 
1-800-GAMBLER.NET. All right, we're back from the break and let's go to the NWSL because the knockout stages began Friday night and oh my God. Spicy, very spicy. Oh my God. (laughs) Wins for the bottom four seeds. And the the way that, it wasn't just the bottom four seeds, it was like, they were significant, like the way that those other teams, the Washington Spirit played beautiful football, the courage looked like absolute front runners and they all got sucker punched. Well, the weird thing was, so the first first game in the knockout was obviously top seed, unbeaten, 100% record, North Carolina courage against... Portland Thorns that were yet to win a game. Portland Thorns took the lead after 68 minutes through rookie Morgan Weaver. And it was a lovely goal, actually. It was a very, very smart move from Weaver to get in front of the defender. Really cleverly timed run. But Britt Eckerstrom, third choice Portland Thorns goalkeeper, had an absolute blinder. There was one save she made. Was it the free kick? Oh my God, dude. The way she was on her toes... The, foot, the footwork on that was amazing. Foot, yeah, right. The footwork, she was on her toes. And then she was, and the decision-making, the decision-making, the footwork, it was like on her toes the entire time, anticipating, and then just to flick it like that, to be like, I'm going to use my fingertips to propel this further. Like the whole thing mm. was, they will teach that in goalkeeping. Well, they have. They'll be able to teach that video in goalkeeping class. It was so yeah. textbook. And the most dangerous attack in the tournament, Debinia and Lynn Williams, well, they've both been on it all tournament, but Debinia's efficiency She's been dangerous the whole way through. And she withstood all of it. Prediction was out of this world. That's one of the best goalkeeping performances like you'll see for a long time. The funny thing was though, that Caitlin Rowland in the Courage goal also had an amazing game and made a couple of saves where Portland could have gone 2-0 up. There was this five minute spell when it was just save after save after save. And like really, really, really good saves. Well, this, this could have been the final in a different universe. This could have been the final. Like, in, I know that Portland has struggled in this tournament, They've, but in that first it game- It felt like a final. In that first game, they looked really impressive. Um, mm. If it wasn't straight knockout, like over the course of a league, you know, if this were like a sort of 20 or 30 game season and the Thorns got a time to get their momentum back, I'd expect to see them challenging. But yeah, this was just an outstanding, outstanding match. It reminded me, I've never said this before, it reminded me of Laura Benkarth against Wolfsburg when he just had this onslaught and she basically stood firm for, for Bayern in goal and just made some mm. saves that she had no right to make really. I mean, it was just a massive win. And, and then obviously going forward, you would have thought that maybe someone like the Washington Spirit would have, would have capitalised on that or maybe been the front runners. Yep. They went out to Sky Blue FC on penalties. In fact, they all went to penalties after that, yeah, right? Yeah, all the other three went to penalties. Um, so the semi-finals take place on Wednesday and Thursday for us, but both on Wednesday in the US. Uh, Portland Thorns against Houston Dash, Chicago Red Stars against Sky Blue FC. I refuse to even call that. I have no idea what's going to happen in those games. After the quarterfinals, I'm not calling anything. We know nothing. We know nothing. (laughs) In the MLS, it was a weekend full of goals, red cards, and really ropey VAR decisions. Yes. Can I say the MLS, (laughs) the one game that really stressed me out the most, and I've mentioned this before, that movie Uncut Gems, Watching the El Trafico LA Derby was actually stressful. It was really stressful. It was really stressful. I was, I was anxious. I was really anxious. After yeah. 20 minutes, I was like, I don't, I want to get off. <laughs> uh, yeah, LAFC went in 6-2 over LA Galaxy. To the time about it. 
<laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. They don't know why they were stuck in traffic. Such a That's weird, why. the world's weirdest 6-2 thrashing. It really was, wasn't like, it? Do you actually want to destroy these people? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, the Galaxy, but the Galaxy have got some bad backdraft in their back four. They were like, they were, they left themselves exposed. Diego Rossi obviously was just feeding on them. Bradley Ike Phillips too. And you don't, you don't stand off these players in the box. Mm. You're asking for that. So yeah, I mean, the Galaxy, yeah, you got some uh, got some scaffolding problems there, gentlemen. Uh, another absolutely wild game was Sporting Kansas City against Colorado Rapids, which <laughs> <laughs> just so many reds. Danny Wilson got sent off after an hour and then Jack Price got sent off for Colorado after <laughs> 73 minutes down to nine men. They lost the game 3-2. Honestly, I couldn't keep up with the MLS this, this weekend. Do you know who couldn't keep up with the MLS this season? Wanyama. Oh. Watching Toronto Montreal, just just that one game. Do you know what it is? This is slightly unfair of me, but the speed of the Toronto attack, particularly Akinola, is so fast. Wanyama, like he's used to playing a hold midfield role, and just the amount of time. This is the problem. It's like, it's, it's like Nemanja Matic. They're very, very good if they're stable at the base of midfield, but the second you make certain defense midfielders have to chase. Mm. There were like three times in that game the Toronto Montreal was a full three, you know, sort of. I'm not sure how brutal that that rivalry is. I don't know if Toronto Montreal is actually... Canadian classique. Yeah, the Canadian... Look, they call it. The classic. Oh yeah, let's call it the classic. Well, that's what they call it. Really? That's so yeah. classy. Before we return to this side of the pond, can I just say that one of the great things that I, about this NWSL Challenge Cup is I feel like I've been exposed to the wonders of US women's soccer Twitter. Oh my God, so funny. So, yeah, I've definitely, there have been some unbelievable accounts that have popped up because of where, where the, uh, where the tournament is taking place. Shouts to Jess Malone because she hipped me to a couple of these. Is she at Soccer Sabbatical? At Soccer Sabbatical on Twitter. So uh, there is a Twitter account called the NWSL Challenge Cup Sunglare. <laughs> and the bio is you miss me when I'm gone you hate me when I'm here <laughs> there's also one called the Challenge Cup Sunset which is dedicated to the sunset over the, the back of the ground in Utah so that's NWSL Cup Sunset there's another one called the NWSL Turf because obviously the, the, the stadium contains artificial turf and the bio is fake grass, real injuries. I'll leave you scarred for life. It's sentient. So it tweets as if it's leaving injuries. Yeah, yeah. And the pinned tweet is from the Portland-Chicago game. And it's of, I can't work out who the player is, but it's just basically like a turf burn on their shin. And the, the tweet says, this is what I do. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so and there was a, the, the next tweet was, the Red Stars burned the rain, but I burned the Red Stars with... <laughs> Just basically pictures of all the burn marks on their knees and the, the bandages covering it up. It's hilarious. And it's also making an important point. That's, that's the thing. I mean, this is... They shouldn't be playing on, no, no, on artificial no, no, turf, no, no, no. It's wrong. And this is a long running thing with women's football in general. There is another one called the NWSL Ambulance, dedicated to the ambulance that's always parked behind the left-hand goal. <laughs> there is one that is called the NWSL Farm, which is dedicated <laughs> to the farm in the background, it's which like always crossing. seems to have the sprinklers on. Animal yeah, Crossing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And my personal favourite, and the one with the most followers, is the NWSL Playground. Oh my God. 
<laughs> do you know what I'm praying for? I'm praying for a cat. I am praying for a cat or some other animal. An NWSL cat. cat. Because that cat. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember when like a cat invaded the pitch at Everton or something? And within like yep. a couple of hours, the cat account had like 10,000 followers on Twitter. Yep. <laughs> when a culture springs up that around a tournament, and this has been, it's been a really great tournament so far as well. It it's really has. Great. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm all for, you know, things like that, that, that bring, bring the community together. Can I be straight with you? You know, this is like some pure... Why are you bisexual? <laughs> Can I be bisexual with you? <laughs> this is some... Well, it depends what you mean. <laughs> this tournament, this, well, in, indeed, before the, before the watershed. This is... <laughs> uh, too what, good. What a stupid too, podcast. Too good, too good, too good. Maybe it's the oxygen deprivation here. Are you wearing a mask? You might say yes. <laughs> Social distance 5G, podcast. 5G, fam. 5G. 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 <laughs> this, um... <laughs> lots of train of thoughts. Lots of train of thoughts. Really? Yeah, I have completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> We've just been talking about playground Twitter accounts. Yeah, there's some very Game of Thrones vibes to this tournament in the way that like all the front runners were killed. All the heads of houses that you expected are gone. Oh yeah. Dead, yeah, dead. Dead. Sean Bean. Yeah, Sean Bean's gone. Done. What are we talking about? Right, let's let's go to La Liga because there was mad drama in La Liga. So Real Madrid won the other night and won the league. They got a very questionable penalty against Villarreal, which led to them winning the game. And then poor Leganis. This is actually and a really heartbreaking this game. This is a heart. This okay. was a really heartbreaking, heartbreaking game. So the La Liga wraps on Sunday. Uh, Leganes needed to beat Real Madrid, really. Two all with seven minutes to go. There was a clear handball on Luka Jovic, which went to VAR. And the commentators were just absolutely right. Yeah, it's going to be a penalty. And then it wasn't given. Astonishing. Which I found extremely confusing. Now, I want to kind of clarify my stance on this. The handball law as it stands is dreadful. Yeah. However, it's the law. It's in the laws of the game. This is what they've changed it to. And therefore, it needs to be punishable. And it needs to be punishable in letter of the law. I cannot understand how this isn't a penalty. It's a horrifying decision. And, and, I, have no, and I have no Leganes bias here because we have a real soft spot for Celta as well. And Celta ended up staying up because of it. So it was very conflicting. Yeah. But purely from a kind of what, from a, from a perspective of what's fair. Leganes lost Martin Brathwaite. They got absolutely screwed by the top two teams. They lost Martin Brathwaite to Barcelona. Who was weren't their, allowed to sign a replacement. Who was their leading, yeah, he was their leading scorer and was brilliant for them. And with him, I think they stay up. I really think they stay up because he would have made the difference in those closing weeks. I think he would, it's a very arguable case for him to stay up. And, and the way they were attacking with the penalty, you never know what happened in these situations, but the fact is they should have been given a chance to save themselves. Six minutes to go and you get a penalty. I mean, Real Madrid have already won the league. They don't care. You know, they put up a good fight, Madrid. I mean, Sergio Ramos again, shout out to him because he's had an astonishing restart, which is an astonishing season. Shout out to Isco. Isco was unbelievable on the weekend. Oh my God, his ability, Zidane's ability, actually, we have to say this, his ability to zoom in on the players in his squad who can give him contributions. Mm. If it's Vasquez, if it's Mendy, if it's um, Valverde, who's a great, you know, standout example of Zidane's ability to take players 
and really extract superb performances from less held members of the squad, which is just a sign of mm. great coaching. Like, shout out to what he's done. And you look at like Barcelona's closing record, scored 86 in 38, conceded 38. Defensively, that was a bit of a problem for sure. But the defensive records, they conceded like 25. They didn't score that many 25, goals. 25, yeah. Didn't score that many goals, maybe 70, I think. They scored not many goals, like less than a goal every two games, less than two goals um, a game. But Sedan looked at this squad and was like, okay, we're going to win this. He must have made the decision at some point. We're going to win this by basing this on defence. Zidane would have played for Juventus teams that won the league that way. Mm. In the mid-90s, Zidane played for Juventus teams that weren't goal-heavy. Teams where you had someone like Alan Boxic up front and they're winning games like 1-0, 2 1-0, 1-0. And he almost must have taken those throwback times. You know, one or two outlets, hard-working, stack the midfield with like strong runners and then just make it work. Um, and he, he's made it work. It's a patchwork team. And for that reason, one of the most impressive, le- I mean, Madrid are stacked, so we've got to have that caveat. But in <laughs> terms of what he did with Madrid, like it's possible to mismanage mm. a club like that. It's possible for a club like that to slump to fourth or fifth. If badly Again, it's, it's very much the kind of like the Arteta thing, but obviously on a different level because Zidane has won multiple European Cups mm. at Real Madrid. Um, but you have someone there that commands the respect of the dressing room in a way that not a lot of other managers can at Real Madrid. Like even Mourinho couldn't at that time. And that's, this is a different Mourinho to what we're talking about now. Considering the circumstances, I think Zidane's done a really good job because one of the major barometers, I think, for how good someone is doing at Real Madrid as a manager is how quiet it is. And the only noise that has been coming out really has been regarding Gareth Bale. Yet they've not missed him when he's not been there massively. Not at all. You know, I feel sympathy for Gareth Bale on a number of things, but in terms of a purely sporting aspect, he hasn't been an absolutely essential player for them this season and they've won the league. So therefore, Zidane deserves a hell of a lot of credit because it, again, it's like not a lot of people can, sli- can silence that club. Well, he pulled a power move. Like This is, I think your analysis there is great. And I think also what a power move this is. Hazard came mm. in, wasn't fully fit. Um, and he hasn't really had Hazard at crucial points for this season. Was meant to be his joker in the pack, hasn't been. Jovic hasn't really worked out. Um, Bale, you know, as you mentioned before, hang over the dressing room. But really, actually, given what other players were leaking out about him, maybe has not perhaps endeared himself to the squad that much anyway. If you look at mm. someone like Steve McManaman, who the board tried to freeze out about when Manaman was there and the players always came out in his defence constantly. Again, there's the silence. You don't hear players coming out mm. in Bale's support in the media. Maybe it's a slightly different era. I disagree. I think it's also partly like he doesn't have that ground sort of support that maybe Manaman had behind the scenes. Well, I mean, people went to war for Casillas when Mourinho was there. Right, so, absolutely. So it is, you know, the, the, realm the players will talk. They will talk. Yeah. So yeah, just Sedan now, it's, his dressing room, it's his club. And the demands are his to make. Like on further expenditure, he can make that ask now because he's, he's proven it. Like he, Zidane will end up as club president, actually. Mm. If he wants well, Casillas to, is coming back in an advisory role, isn't he? On, Which I think is a great move. Getting the band back together. I think maybe we'll go into more detail about Real Madrid and Barcelona and stuff like that and do a little bit of an end of year report in a couple of weeks when all the leagues have wrapped. Let's do it. Um, 
Villarreal and Real Sociedad secured the Europa League places. Sevilla, Atleti, Barcelona make up the other Champions League spots. First ever qualification for Europa League for Granada. I mean, that amazing, amazing work there by the club. Um, Diego Martinez, just outstanding. They've been really interesting all year and they finished strongly. When I first saw them play the season, I was like, good side, not too many goals in them, but just supremely well-organized, especially on the counter. And they've mm. just maximized all their resources. Just have to rate that. Have to rate that. But yeah, but Villarreal, that's a big story, isn't it? Two big departures for them. Yeah, so Cazorla's obviously off and Soriano retired, I believe. I think retired. I think retired. To uh, kind of Villarreal legends. And what an incredible finish when they came, what, fifth they ended up? They've been in trouble over the last couple of years, but this is no longer a, a Villarreal side who look like they're going to be anywhere near the bottom of the table. Now, I think Cazorla has been a massive part of that. Astonishing. Astonishing. Like, to still be that good, like you talk about that this old, it's not, you can't call it redemption because there's nothing to redeem, but in terms of a comeback mm. and a club that someone said, it was at Mitty Marungi uh, at Nutmeg Radio said on Twitter, I think, Santi Cazorla is the only footballer ever to have a hundred percent positive rating on football Twitter. Mm. He is absolutely beloved. Mm. And one thing I suppose they've got to be a bit careful of for the Real is because he was such a huge contributor they've got to recruit smartly. But here's the thing now, who would not want to be uh, an attacking midfielder or a number eight at Villarreal now? The way the club is set up, the way that the young players have been brought through, the quality, I mean, it's really great, that team, because it's a fun team to watch, but I feel like the elder statesman can step away now. Mm. Even though Cazorla was great and influential, even towards the end of his season, he could step back a bit and come in and kind of play a cameo for the last half hour. So yeah, it's just a really well-run club and a fun place to play. So yeah, good luck. Yeah, I mean, the weird thing is though, there's going to be some upheaval this summer, I think, because there've been a lot of rumours about Javier Calle's job, weirdly. There are a lot of rumours about Unai Emery coming in, which I think is really weird because Super weird. the club are really desperate to get back into the Champions League. I don't think Javier Calle could have done much more than he's done in the, what, 18 months since he came back. He was asked about it after the game on the weekend and he said that basically, I want to stay here he said something like, uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity the club has given me. And he's got a contract till the end of 2021. He was quite keen to, to stress. He just said, you know, I'll let the club make the decision. Personally, I find it really weird that they're even considering... Dude, there's a big gap between, this, there's a big gap between the Champions League teams in La Liga and the, the rest. If you think about it, he got sacked in the Dece- beginning of December in 2018 and then came back at the end of January after they fired Louis Garcia. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, they were in the relegation zone, basically, and now they're finishing fifth and they're talking about getting rid of him and bringing in Unai Emery. But uh, talking of another Spanish manager, quickly before we take another break, uh, Robert Moreno let go by Monaco and replaced by Berlin's own, shout out to Vedding. Levels. Nico Kovac. I like that. Nico Kovac at Monaco. But son gets to work with Ben Yedder as well. I'm really intrigued to see how this goes. I mean, it does mean, unfortunately, even though we love Bruno Labbadia here, that getting the vetting trio of Kovac and the Boateng boys at Hertha is obviously dead. Getting back a support, get back a support member. <laughs> get a load of this guy. Why not? Making moves. But yeah, very intriguing appointment, I think. Let's take another break and then we're going to come back and we'll talk about Leeds and we'll talk about Andre Sherlock. Let's do it. 
This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, we're back from the break again. Leeds are back into the Premier League. 16 years. The last time Leeds were in the Premier League, David Seaman was still playing in the Premier League. My goodness. It's, yeah, that's, that is so long ago. That We had loads of questions about Bielsa, so thanks to everyone who sent them in. They were all on a similar theme. Either kind of like what to expect from Bielsa, you know, are you excited about Bielsa? Or a lot of talk about him stepping down before Leeds actually play a game in the Premier League. Bielsa went to Marseille and it didn't work out and he stepped out. Mm. But he's someone who, if the conditions aren't right, and just go, yeah. He is someone that has sustained at clubs. I mean, the work he did at everyone knows he did at Bilbao is just stunning in terms of the, the football they played, the Europa League run of 2012-2013. I think that's the run they went on, maybe or maybe the season before that. Brilliant coach with the right conditions and it seems like he's happy there. And the good thing about coming into the Premier League with Leeds is you can kind of quietly get on with it. And he's, he's at his best when he can quietly get on with things. Can you remember a more anticipated manager slash team coming into the Premier League via promotion? Roy Keane at Sunderland. Not more, not more anticipated. No, no. I wouldn't say more. I wouldn't say more anticipated with respect. Um, the way that Keane came up was so impressive. People really thought he was going to do a cloth mark too, or some people did. Obviously, the reality was much more nuanced than that. But I can't think of a more anticipated one. I can't think of a more beloved manager. I mean, everyone loves him. Let's say there's one month, right, in February, where Leeds have got like three big teams and they put on an absolute coaching clinic. And just for that one month, Bielsa is like the best coach in the league and just beats everyone. At the end of the month, Klopp, Guardiola, Arteta, they're all like, yeah, yeah, he's that guy. Like, what can you do? On less positive managerial news, Nigel Pearson has been sacked by Watford. I said it was a weird decision on Twitter and I think it is a weird decision because yes, Watford have been really poor from Christmas and have really, really struggled to maintain that early impressive form under Nigel Pearson, which was always going to happen. But you made a really good point about it, but you said, you know, well, why do it now? Why wait so long? Mm. This has been the case for so long. Why do it two games before the, the end of the season? Because to me, that just seems really, really risky. What I will say is this, Watford are a club where the players, you look at Troy Dean in the rule, he's taken a Black Lives Matter. Players are consulted on mm. issues involving the club. So when you see the removal of someone like Pearson at a club like Watford, it's not the same, you know, every club has different dynamics. You see the removal of someone like Pearson at a club like Watford, you think, this feels like it's been a consultation with players and with other, like it just feels like mm. it's been a collective decision where it's like, it's not working. The chemistry's not there. So hopefully because this feels like it's a consensus decision that the momentum is already there to continue. Like we've seen, like, you know, we saw when Di Matteo came in at Chelsea and they won the Champions League, that it's possible True, yeah. to remove someone where the chemistry is wrong and use that as a kind of spur to take them on. And Watford, you know, they've shown some resilience already this year. So yeah, good luck to them. Like I say, I'm always a believer that 
it's the old Shakespeare thing, isn't it? If it were done, we're best that we're done quickly. Mm. If it's to be done, it was best we're done quickly. So I just feel like it feels late for this. It feels like a bit of a gamble, if I'm being honest. Okay, before we get out of here, let's talk about Andre Scherler. Yep. So Andre yep. Scherler announced his retirement this week at the age of 29. It follows the termination of his contracts with Borussia Dortmund by mutual consent. It's easy to forget he's been there since 2016. He's been a Borussia Dortmund player. Hard to believe. I mean, he's, he's not been a reference point for them. I think that's fair to say. I mean, spent time on loan, obviously, at Fulham. Yeah. And then last season at Spartak Moscow. He did a piece with Der Spiegel in Germany where he was saying that um, it was a process that had been building basically for a while and that the lows became deeper and the highs were becoming less frequent. And one of the, one of the things I do want to say is that I hope he's okay because there were a few things in the Spiegel piece which alluded to obviously him having a bit of a t- tough time over the last few years in football. He, you know, he clearly wasn't happy playing football anymore. And therefore, I hope he really do you know what's weird about, finds a you know, lot of happiness walking yeah. away from it. But go on. What's weird about this decision is that there's no surprise at all. And the only thing that's a real surprise to me is that most footballers, when they're not into it anymore, can hide it. Surely, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Because the thing about football is the level of intensity it demands, especially now, like it's not like the year where we could go out boozing, whatever. There's any slight drop off is punished. Mm. And also football is such a bubble, Ryan. It's such mm. a bubble. Where if you are in football and like you just live it, Justin Salhani mentioned, you know, Messi just being a kind of footballing monk where you're just in it. You're just like, you're immersed in football. You go from training ground to whatever. But if you're training ground to football pitch, training on football pitch, then home and family. But if you step outside that bubble for too long, like if you step outside for a moment, it's like when you go to, um, if you're a musician, right? And you always play big rock venues. And then one day, like big, you know, stand out stadiums. And one day you get there, you, you are either there before sound check, or you're there even better when everyone's left. And you imagine you walk, it's like walking back into Wembley Stadium after you've played it, but of 80,000 fans and you see the people cleaning up and the ground staff and they're stressed out because it's one of three day jobs they've got. And you just see real life for a moment and it shatters that illusion. And you go like, like it, it makes you existentially, it makes you question what it's all for. Like, especially when you have these huge peaks, like Philip Lahm winning the World Cup. We talked about this before, mm. where Philip Lahm is there at the Brandenburg Gate and he's looking around, you can see him with the World Cup and he's just thinking, it doesn't get any better. And I want to draw a parallel between this amazing piece in the New York Times where someone goes and interviews the World Cup winners of 1990 and almost no one has really moved on from it. It's so interesting when West Germany win. Yeah, this this, this German squad is very, very much like that, I think. It weighs heavy, doesn't it, that win? Mm. Obviously, if you're you're, someone like Boateng, you can go on and get success and you'll win league titles. And he was kind of coming to the edge of his cycle anyway. But that victory, how you deal with something of that scale. And Schuller was clearly someone who like this, this retirement is no surprise to me. It's such an astonishing peak. And Gertz as well, we've talked about as well, that I almost don't know how you come back from it. The peak is so overwhelming. I'm not saying that's the only reason why Schuller quit early. I'm not saying that at all. Not saying that at all, because there's obviously other factors. And you go to clubs like Fulham and Spartak Moscow, it's not the same as being 
integral to a team yeah, that's I mean, doing like winning the league at Chelsea. Yes, 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 yes. It's not the same doing integral, you know, stuff like that. But I just look at that article about the West Germany team that won in 1990. There's a bit with Andres Bremer and it's basically saying how, you know, for a man who doesn't have much time to speak to me, he's got a lot of time on his hands. And just the sense that like, it had almost trapped them in time because it was such a glorious moment. They were mm. almost like doomed eternally either to relive it or to measure everything sub- subsequently against it. But you see with Pogba, like Pogba is still judged against that because he was so, there was a crest of a wave. Like when you win a World Cup, right? As a country, gen- generally speaking, it's the culmination of a project. Like people grow up with you, you're hyped from a certain age, like your teens. Like you look at like the cycles of the World Cup, like West Germany, like Germany win that World Cup in 2014. They sort their act out, they get the coaching right. And it's a kind of groundswell. Mm. It's a kind of groundswell in a way that a club, comp- a club campaign is not. A Champions League is not the same thing. It's like the country is growing with you. And then they send you out into the world and you come back with this glorious trophy. And it's like, what next? Mm. And Philip Lahm clocked it and he was out. <laughs> my guy. Mm. <laughs> yeah, he did bounce. He, huh? he was out like a light. That My guy was out. And that was the, that's the way to do it, unfortunately. Well, I mean, we hope that he kind of moves on to stuff that is obviously happy, happy, more happy for him. Do you know, he's, he is absolutely welcome to join us in the Stadio podcast. Oh, I'd love to talk to Andre Shirley. He seems like a really good dude. Such an interesting footballer. An interesting career as well. A range of, a range of careers, a mm-hmm. range of roles. He did really, you know, yeah. did really well at Mainz and Leverkusen before moving to, and a, to Chelsea. And a range, interesting clubs and a range of roles he played as well. So yeah. And m- most importantly, congratulations and good luck with the, because he's got, he's got, um, a new family, hasn't he? Yeah, definitely. Enjoy that family time. Indeed. All right, let's get out of here. Let's do it. Uh, we hope you're staying safe and well, wherever you are in the world. Don't forget, you can check us on Twitter at Stadio, on Instagram at Stadio Football. Our website is stadio.football or you can check theringer.com forward slash soccer. You got a piece going up this week? I have, yeah, on Liverpool and where they go nice. next, where they go from here. I had a piece go up last week about Arsenal and Spurs. Yeah, anything else we need to chat about before we go? Just playing out. Yeah, just playing out. Um, I would just like to say, as ever, most important. You sound like the end of that Bob Mortimer video. As ever, you are an adult wombat. (laughs) 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 Amazing. That's genius. That's where we end. Let's play out. Let's play out. And we're playing out with another genius, Digo. We'll be back on Thursday. We will indeed. See you then. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.